The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good. They're just the right amount of heart, too. Like, I should have got all five of those. But I'm blonde and... I smoke too many daddy cigars, and sometimes my brain forgets itself, okay? So that's a little bit of an call issue. to win. Oh, yeah, baby. What's up, everybody? Paul Burmeister, Chris Sims. It's the Chris Sims Unbuttoned Podcast. And, yes, that was the new famous segment that's taking the world over. Paul Burmeister <laughs> challenging me with quarterback jeopardy, and that will be returning today. I really liked it. I should have got all five. I really should have, but I choked under the pressure. That's what I did as a well, quarterback. That's what I do as a host, so that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, every week the questions for four and 500 are going to be difficult. I mean, you're not going to respect me in the morning if, if I just make it too easy with those four and 500 questions. So they're going to be tough again today. And I'm Good. glad you like it because I'm spending a significant amount of my time ignoring my family and thinking about quarterback jeopardy and then researching the questions. And I think you're really going to love the topic today. I don't know if you're going to get all right. Hey, right. You know, but you're gonna yeah, like I'm going to, I'm you, I, you know, I pride myself on being a football historian and being knowledgeable. So I, I take it serious and you know, listen, your family is fine without you. Don't worry. You haven't been out of the house. <laughs> Maybe in even nine better weeks. off. They're they're sick know, of you. Right? They're telling you, go in a corner <laughs> somewhere and leave us alone for a little while, Dad. I feel like that's where my family is getting, or at least my wife. I think she's had it with me here in the house. It it's it's the kind of absent though where I'm actually there and they think I'm there, so they, they're including me in the in the back and forth, but I'm I'm thinking about something else. And to my wife, that's the worst kind of absent. She'd rather oh, not right. I'd be off in a corner. Yeah, so right. um, that's where it is. But hey, that's you know part of the battle we all fight, right, Chris? Don't be emotionally absent, or you know, you got to be there, be in the present, man. Didn't you? You know, you've been watching Michael Jordan and the the docu series on ESPN. That was one of the cool yeah. things I saw about him. That they were at the very end, not to hit on that or change the subject, but they talked about how his ability to stay in the present was so amazing to a few of the people you know that witnessed his career uh and I, I listen i'm the same way you get me watching something the kids could be asking me homework questions right it's over yeah right? oh yeah 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 i just say yeah and then they're like dad what do you think uh, what do you oh what are you talking about like just totally out of it that's such a dad thing to do i can remember my dad doing it to me so uh just passion right? passing it along I was doing it with the 1977 World Series last night. The Dodgers and the Yankees, for some reason, was on some some random channel, and I had it on. 
and I apparently was ignoring my wife and my kids and both everybody got a little upset. I was so into the ninth inning though. I knew what happened. You know, it was a long time ago, but Lee Lacey was up and he was trying to put down a bunt. I had to watch. And 77, just so we're what the Dodgers won that one. Is that who, who won that one? Yankees won, and the whole reason Game Six was yeah. on because it was the game that Reggie Jackson hit three oh, home runs the on three, three swings. Mister yeah. October, that's right. Okay, so that was the year. Okay, yes, you know I'm I'm a big Yankees fan, and uh, very disappointed there's no baseball this year because I think it was our year. I'm still hoping for baseball, so it can be our year. So we'll see where it goes. Could come back in some form or fashion. We're all we're all quite hopeful. So. We have put together another unbuttoned NFL podcast in a time where there's not a lot of news, but we have a number of topics that are going to be fun to run through. So you give me your version of what's coming up here. I'll kind of fill in the blanks as we set the outline, and then we'll dive into the main part. Well, you know, the perfect team. That's what we're doing right here. Team building, but not like with one specific player. We're going to take the the best units in football to build a football team. So I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, when you're talking about building a football team, you don't want to just have no depth at a certain position to where, oh, yeah, one player gets hurt and our our team's different. So, you know, again, Patrick Mahomes, we know, is the best quarterback in football. I'm not taking the Kansas City quarterback unit, though, because I do believe that if he got hurt, that it would be Strugglesville for them. So we're taking that as a unit, you know, uh, the quarterback room. And we're going to build teams through the offensive line, defensive line, linebacker position, who has the best units and combine them in the NFL and see what we come up with. So it's a cool little exercise. It really is. I mean, there there was some tough choices along this where I was going back and forth between rosters and pulling up a little film here and there just to go like, all right, let me just watch this guy for a second. So – uh, it's it's a good idea by you and Pete Demolitolitis. It's it's a good exercise this time of the year. <laughs> and the, the segment is going to be defined as you described it by how you rate the groups, not the individuals, but the the groups, the collective talent, each position room in each building. I'm coming into play not only as the curious fan listening, but you're going to run through the group as I deem most important. So I'm prioritizing. The groups, obviously the quarterbacks are going to be first. I'm going to let that cat out of the bag. We're going to talk about the quarterback group first. But after that, the next group I bring up will be like, if I'm the general manager, I view this position group as the second most important in building a successful team and all the way down to the last position group. And I think you'll be surprised by it a little bit, but that's uh, that's how we're going to run through what we're calling Sims City. I I do like it. I mean, I hope we don't get sued by the actual Sim City with one less M. You know, I mean, I got two M. Where is that? They only have one. Uh, It's it's like a huge, my little girl plays it on Xbox. You know, Sim City, they can create their own world. It's like, I want to say it's Sims for Simulation City. That's why they say Sim City, to where you can build your own town, cities, lives, everything. I watch my 13-year-old daughter Charlotte do it, and I mean, it's 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 actually like one of those games where you see your kids play. Unlike Fortnite, where you go, "Whoa, my kid's actually learning and problem solving <laughs> and learning how to build things," rather than Fortnite, where right. they're just getting dumber by the moment and talking trash into their earphones, like, "Oh, I got you! I killed you! Eat that!" Like, I just, I, I don't even understand that part. I don't. It's crazy. I thought that building game was was called Minecraft. 
Is that, there is, is that too. Minecraft? There's two. There's two. There, there is. There's Minecraft too. It's, it's very similar, except I think, you know, I don't really know what the difference is. I can't really tell you. Uh, I don't know. So, okay. but either way, we're showing our age and that we're out of the video game world and we have no <laughs> clue. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right. done with that. I've been playing some Mortal Kombat on Xbox lately, though. I've been enjoying that. To like sit in the house with the kids here, we got nothing going on. I was like, all right, we got to find a game where we can all play together or fight or do whatever. So I've been schooling them in Mortal Kombat, which is, uh, I forgot how gory it was, but been kind of fun right? doing that. Yeah. How can you get on, how, how can you get on your kids for playing uh, Fortnite and you play Mortal Kombat? Isn't it the same thing? Well, it, I mean, yes, to a degree, except like, it's just Fortnite. It's just something we do as a round robin. Me, my two kids, the winner stays on and we just play. Fortnite. I mean, my little boy gets up, he goes, you know, does his schoolwork, okay, and by like 12 o'clock, he's downstairs right now. He's streaming, he's playing Fortnite, he's playing with his friends, and there they go. And they just go into this wormhole of like, hey, we'll see yeah. you in five hours, and he's going to come up and be hungry <laughs> and impatient and a real pain in the ass. And I go, that's the Fortnite right there, and that's why I'm going to ban that shit if you don't correct your attitude. And that's usually how the afternoon <laughs> conversation goes. <laughs> we're all having uh, some version of the same conversation or argument at uh, every house where we're trying to parent our kids away from spending too much time on the Xbox. All right, no SimCity. We've each spent too much time, as we talked about, getting ready for this. I'm starting out with the most important position group, no surprise here at all, quarterbacks. And before you dive into which one you like the best in the NFL, just a reminder, it's not the best quarterback. This is the best quarterback group in the NFL. So who do you got? Yeah, and, you know, and, and again, I mean, you're right. I, I, if you're building a team smart, right, smartly, you, you would never just put all your eggs into the one-person basket. You know, if you're the New England Patriots and Tom Brady gets hurt or he gets suspended, man, we don't want to go 0-4 and, and then be in the hole and then have Tom crow. No, we better have some backups to play. You know, if you're the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees, and you're a Super Bowl team, and man, what happens if Drew Brees got hurt for five games? Oh, wait, that happened. And they had a good quarterback room and went 5-0 and when he wasn't gone, and it saved their season. So, you know, yes, when I look at the quarterback room or the situation that's the best in football right now, it's the New Orleans Saints. It is. I mean, it co it, they're covered from all angles through, you know, through injury, creativity, no matter what it is. Their team will not be ruined uh, if, if a Drew Brees got hurt. And in fact, there won't be ruined really if their backup got hurt. But let alone it gives them the flexibility at the position to do some really unique things. And, you know, this one was, you know, I think fairly obvious. I think if we're going to do this exercise, you look at those three guys they got down there with Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, and Drew Brees. That's a special group. We know Winston can play at a high level. We know he's got to fix things. Breeze is, you know, a Hall of Famer for a reason. And then Taysom Hill is, yeah, the gadget guy and a phenomenal athlete. But as you've seen the last two years and we've both seen, he can push the ball down the field and make some things happen with his right arm too. So I think with all of those things encompassing, the Saints are the leaders in the clubhouse as far as a quarterback room and depth is concerned. Yes, however, and you brought up the main point with the Saints, and they hit it out of the park in this position last year. Drew got nicked up five games. Teddy Bridgewater comes in. They go 5-0, and like you pointed out. He only threw two interceptions in that entire time. And Jameis Winston 
more talented, more experienced than Teddy Bridgewater. But let's say the same thing happens this year, and they don't go with Taysom Hill. They go with Jameis Winston. He comes in and performs like he has been. He's throwing a pick or two picks per game. Are they still going to win those five games? Or are they going to go two and three? And that that's my worry with that pick, because I thought you sure. might go there. And I don't hate that selection, but my first thought as a naysayer, which I get to play sometimes, what yeah. about the picks that Bridgewater avoided last year? Well, I, listen, it's it's a great question. And it's a, it's a real problem. There's no doubt about that. Yes, yes, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he is, he's careful with the ball. You know, he's one of those guys where I would have said, you know, again, he's like in that Tyrod Taylor camp where I go, you know, he's not going to win you games, but he's not going to lose you games either. And there is something to that. Jameis Winston can win you games, but he can also lose you games. He is almost the exact opposite of Teddy Bridgewater. I'm taking this into account. The fact that he's got arguably the greatest offensive mind in the sport and one of the greatest quarterback teachers in the sport hovering over his shoulder on a daily basis to correct those things, let alone when he sees the influx of offense and ideas and the amount of easy completions that Sean Payton can deliver to a quarterback, you know, during a game, I think those things are going to pop the Jameis Winston. He's ready to go. You know, we've had some fun with this where, you know, it's, it's he's not going to have to risk it to get his biscuit. Sean Payton's going to go, no, no, listen, I got a formation and a play here that's going to screw the defense over, and I'm going to find you a wide-open completion for six yards. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Just listen to what I fucking say and throw to the fucking mm -hmm. guy I told you to throw to, and it'll be that simple, or his ass will be out of the league. Uh, so you're right. It's the big question, but I'm betting on Sean Payton, I think, to fix Jameis Winston uh, more than anything. You just answered one of the questions I had written down under quarterback here, and that's how much will Chris value the play caller? Because yeah. you relaying that opinion takes me to Kansas City last year when Matt Moore came in and Patrick Mahomes got hurt and Matt Moore. I mean, there were a lot of opinions about where it could go. And if you told Chiefs fans, you know what? You'll win two out of three games in this time. You'll score still in the high 20s. There won't be a single interception thrown. I think every Chiefs fan would have taken that. And I give a lot of credit to Andy Reid as the play callers, the guy putting it together, yes. just like you gave credit, future credit to, I believe in Jameis Winston because I think Sean Payton's going to make his life better. Well, it, it's, you know, the quarterback coach is kind of part of the quarterback room that way. And yeah, I mean, Sean Payton is the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator and all those things. And I think, you know, we do have to take into account. Yeah. You know, Jameis Winston, I value him as one of the best backups in football, but if he went to some, team that I thought had a crappy offense and an unproven offensive coordinator, I would go, oh, I'm not so sure he's the best, one of the best backup quarterbacks in football. So certainly plays into my decision and my thinking there, uh, no doubt about it. You know, and hey, just to add some other teams into the conversation yes. just that I thought about, right? The Ravens, they were one with Lamar Jackson, RG3, Trace McSorley. You know, again, it's not that I think all those guys are amazing, but they fit how the Ravens want to play. And that makes sense to me. That's where it's a good room. You know, the Dolphins, when you got Tua, Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, not a bad three there. And then the Colts. The Colts would be the other team that kind of jumped out to me as having a pretty good quarterback room and situation in general. Two other teams that I have written down that you didn't mention, the Dallas Cowboys with Andy Dalton. Yeah. Andy Dalton is the backup. How come they didn't come up on that list of, of teams that you mentioned? Well, you know, the, they were in the running. Like, they were on my original list there. I looked for teams that I felt had 
a really good, th- you know, three quarterbacks. I tried to kind of play it that way to play true to the exercise and look that way. You know, yeah. You know, could you debate there's some one-two combinations out there that might be better? I don't know. Yeah, you probably could. But, you know, I think what the Saints had and just the versatility in the room and that all three of them can play within the Sean Payton offense, but all three of them can carve out their own little element. I think they could be special in the Sean Payton offense is probably the biggest reason I picked those guys. But certainly no disrespect to Dak Prescott or Andy Dalton or anybody like that. Remember the old days when every team had three quarterbacks dressed out right. on game day? I know. You think about the Buffalo Bills, Jim Kelly and Frank Reich and Gail Gilbert were always standing there on Sunday. And now, I mean, who dresses three besides, I mean, the, the Saints, obviously, but I mean, that third quarterback doesn't, doesn't get to be part of Sundays these days. Does not. Doesn't even get to make the roster more times than not. Is usually on the practice squad. But, you know, I was it, was it that rules- way when you were playing? It was towards the end. Early on in my career, it was not. But then towards the end when, you know, they started to make the rules different and things like that, uh, yes, it changed to where a lot of the times it would be only two quarterbacks. Now, Gruden was different than most of the coaches when it did change where he still dressed three. So we had three a lot. But the league was certainly changing to where most teams we played only had two guys on the other side that dressed and they had some sort of emergency quarterback. All hey, right. you so know that's one the quarterbacks. thing, right? And you know one thing I meant Go to ahead. hit on just right off the top, and I'm sorry, I did mm-hmm. list my head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator of this great football team we're building too. Just so you know, yes. And Bill Belichick's my head coach. I'm okay. going with Kyle Shanahan as my offensive coordinator, and I'm going with Wink Martindale of the Baltimore Ooh. Ravens as my defensive coordinator. Man, my staff is, they're loaded. We're, we're, and we have, we're going to have a great time. It's going to be good. Bill, I'm not sure about Bill, but me, Kyle, and Wink <laughs> are going to have a great time. <laughs> Everybody else will have a good time, yeah. Right. Okay, so that's quarterbacks, and it's a, a topic we could leave it at all day, but at some point we got to move on. I appreciate you throwing in your coordinators there. So now we come into some of the surprises here, and the surprise will be in the form of, what I deem the, the, the second most important position group in building a team. And my second and third most important go together. And I'm going to throw out one number I found while ignoring my family that really makes sense of why I have this group at two and the next one at three. The most significant stat I found in looking at last year as it related to teams making the playoffs, opponent quarterback ranking. And the top 10, eight of those top 10 teams made the postseason. Okay, and of the seven teams, one more, one more for you. Of the seven teams, yeah, I like that won a play that won a playoff game last year. Six, okay, six of those were in the top half of the league in opponent quarterback rating. So to me, you pressure the quarterback, you confuse him, you get some picks. Obviously, we know it's important. That stat gives some teeth to that thought that we all have and backs it up right there in the black and white. So that's why I have it number two, and you'll understand three in a moment. Number two, I have defensive line. Yeah, I get that. I think, you know, to me, and I don't know who you'll have at number three, and I don't even want to ask, but I got no issue with you saying defensive line is second most important. I mean, you're right. I mean, in a lot of ways, hey, first off, you know, the number one pass defense in football, the San Francisco 49ers, hey, had a good secondary, but I'm not sitting here going, oh, man, we need to rewrite the history books with all the talent they had. No, the reason they had a great pass defense was because of what you said. Their defensive line 
made things a lot easier for the secondary and pressured the quarterback and caused turnovers and batted balls down and made the quarterback throw the ball before he didn't want to. So I'm with you all the way. You know, there's there's different ways you can do it. You know, you could do it that way as far as the 49ers are concerned, or you do it like the New England Patriots who did it, where they put more assets into the actual secondary, and then they get a mixed match of different guys up front, and they try to confuse you and get pressure that way, right? And said because they don't have the studs. But either way, it's an interesting conversation and talking point. And I'm, you know, listen, Paul, I'm not going to argue there. To me, it'd probably be defensive line or offensive line, one of the two that would have been the next up for me. And we'll see where we go. We'll talk about that. But I'm with you. So for defensive line, what's your favorite group in the NFL? Damn, this was a tough one. I mean, it was a, you know, I wrote originally like six or seven teams down, and then I cut it down to five. And then I really got down to two. And then ultimately, I picked the team we just talked about, which is the San Francisco 49ers. I did. You know, and I know they lost to Forrest Buckner. I understand that. But first off, you know I love Javon Kinlaw, who they drafted out of South Carolina. You know, I, you know, again, I don't expect him to be DeForest Buckner from day one, but I think he's going to be plenty good, disruptive, and a key part to that football team. But it's the rest of the guys and the depth that they have behind it that I think is unbelievable. When you get into the Nick Bosa and then the Eric Armstead and the Dee Ford, and then you start talking about Solomon Thomas and Ronald Blair and DJ Jones, which are guys I understand are not household names, but – you got to trust me, somebody that evaluates football. And if you watch the 49ers last year, that they had a big part in that football team, not only with the rotation, just sending fresh guys out there, but guys like DJ Jones and Ronald Blair were disruptive too. Like I would argue it was one of the better backup D lines in all of football. It wasn't just like, Hey, come in and we really fall off, but we want you to rest. We want to rest our starters. No, these backups would come in and cause disruption and, be a handful too. So I think with the top level talent added with the depth conversation, I got to go with the 49ers on the D line, the D line combo. I have one word written down here under D line in all caps and the rest are in sentences, but the one in all caps is disruptive. And you just use that word three times to describe what right. the 49ers have up front. That, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, you know, it, it's, we, we talked about it. They don't, they're not famous for their man-to-man coverage. They're, they're, they're guys in the back end where we're going, oh, they'll lock people down and just, you know, they'll make the quarterback pat on the ball because nobody will get open. No, the 49ers are almost the opposite. They're kind of simple in the back end. And they basically say, we're not going to let you have any big plays, and we're going to make you sit there and wait for a second as we play zone and let your guys get into the holes of the zone but can they get into those holes of the zone before our four super freaks come there and rip your quarterback's head off? I don't know. And most times they couldn't. So that's really the beauty of it. And then when you talk about a great defensive line, you got to talk about the ability to be versatile, a mix and match personnel. Hey, one week I need a, a pass rushing D line. Hey, this week we're playing the Cowboys and we need to have a big run stopping D line. They can kind of do all of that. And I think that's kind of the beauty of that 49ers football team right now. I thought that would be an, an easy pick for you, that even though you respect a lot of the other groups, that it would be San Francisco and then everybody else. But it sounds like it was difficult. Who, who was the closest second to the Niners? Yeah. 
the, and you know, and when I first started, this team didn't come right to my brain, right? But then as I started to dig through, the Chicago Bears, that was the one that I looked at and went, damn, the Bears got some studs. You know, just right off a of base level, when you talk about Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn on the edge, and then you talk about um, Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks on the inside with some good rotational players behind them, like a Roy Robertson Harris and a Brett Urban and a few other guys, you start to go, holy crap, that Bears front is the real deal. And, you know, just so everybody knows, you know, Khalil Mack, he's listed as a linebacker and some of those guys. I don't, they're not linebackers. They're defensive ends. They can list them as whatever they want. Their job is to play on the edge and get after the quarterback. Yeah, they might drop back into a zone blitz coverage three times a game out of 70 snaps. That doesn't make them a linebacker. They're a defense end, and that's how we counted them in this exercise. I mentioned at the top before we got into this defensive line group and why I have them as the second most valuable group when you're building a team, that there were two teams in the top 10 that did not make the playoffs, and the Chicago Bears were one of them. And Chicago showed up a number of times in, in the uh, postseason stats that really tell a good story. If they had Let me guess the other. They had average quarterback play. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, you're, but you're right. Go, go with your point, and then we'll get into it. I just uh, go ahead. Say whether the average quarterback play what? So the, uh, the the Bears, when you sift through the end of the season and look at things that matter to you, and say, okay, this team was really good in this area. They were really, really good up front in the front seven on defense and on the back end. If they had average quarterback play, if their quarterback production was between twelve and twenty, and I don't know where it was on there, that that's potentially. Uh, a playoff team. The other team was the Steelers. The Steelers yeah, were the other I team. Right. I thought so. I mean, you know, and hey, similar situation. What what, what was it? Oh, quarterback. Different not reasons, that good. but yeah. yeah. Right. We can't we can't run the ball consistently and ever stay on the field. So our defense has to be out there the fourth play of every series. And we just gotta go deep. Yep. Let's just keep crushing them and killing them. You know, and that's just that's not realistic. I don't care who you are. You know, if the right. 85 Bears had a crappy offense and they wouldn't have been the 85 Bears. They would have been exhausted, and at the end of the year, there would have been some cracks or you know cracks in the seam and whatever else. So that is important to a great defense. For sure. Okay, so quarterback, number one. Defensive line, I have as number two. And as we get into three, my entire focus here is, okay, quarterback is, is first in the priority list, but then do you have a defense that is likely, is better than average, to, to make the opposing quarterback have a day that at the end of the season is one of his three or four worst games. And that's what I'm looking for in these position groups. It's why I had D-line at number two, and it's why I have defensive backs as the third most important group. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I, again, I don't think I would make them the third most important group. Okay. I probably would go offensive mm-hmm. line. I'm old school that way where I believe in building the trend, you know, building, winning the trenches and being a physical football team. But – you know, with the secondary, with the amount of super freaks we got at wide receiver right now, you know, the majority of teams still playing 11 personnel with three receivers on the field and all of that, uh, the secondary is. It's crucial. Let alone, you know, you got to have some versatility in your secondary to cover tight ends and running backs and the different mis- mismatches you'll see in a different week to where, you know, yeah, I think you got to put more thought into the secondary and it's more than just having four guys, you know, on a weekly basis this day and age. No, if your secondary doesn't have about seven or eight guys that can go in the game and play 
big nickel, big dime, small nickel, whatever it may be, then you're going to find some some matchups during the year where you're not going to match up and you're going to lose football games. So it is very important. And of course, the New England Patriots have showed us that it's very important in that. And they're kind of good the last time I checked. Yeah. And I want to get right back to you on which team you have first. I think it might be the Patriots. But I, I did not initially have defensive backs this high in the group. But then I went back and really thought about it. And you mentioned you got to have more than four guys. That's not just depth in your room on the field during the game. I mean, five is almost a given. And six, I'm going to guess, is close to half the time defenses are playing with six defensive backs on the field. Yeah. And with how how important it is to have a safety who can not only guard a tight end, but come down and actually you know play as a linebacker for a significant part of the game. And how important it is to have a third defensive back, a corner, who can – Give give the slot receiver fits in the slot. As we're seeing, that's so important to a quarterback and to an offensive coordinator. It's just the more I thought about it, the more I thought defensive back should be higher in the list. So that's why I have him third. So that, enough of yeah. my my reasoning. No, but you, but Paul, your <laughs> points are real. Don't don't discredit yourself. I I mean you're right. And then we're seeing different type of slot receivers. You know, one week it's Julian Edelman, right? And then the next week you're playing Michael Thomas, and you're going wait. Our, this guy that covered Julian Edelman last week, you know, Michael Thomas is pushing him all over the field and just moving him out of the way. We can't stop him. So the next week, you better have right. a DB or a nickel that can match the size and physicality of a Michael Thomas or the Travis Kelseys and the Zach Ertz of yes. the world and all yeah. those things. You know, points during a game, you got to treat them like big wide receivers. So uh, I, 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 again, I'm not mad at you for making them, you know, the third most important. I'm sort of, I mean, I'm shocked you're an ex quarterback. I think you'd want to stay clean in your uniform and things. But other <laughs> than gonna, that, I get it. <laughs> that's coming up. And, and also, with, with how sm- uh, smart these offensive coordinators are with their formations, we used to have a thing where we'd do, we'd line up and say, okay, line up and bunch right. And this week we're going to explode to, to train left. So, you have Travis Kelsey next to the to the um, to the tackle, just like the defense is expecting when you line up. And then after the quarterback says set, he's going to go out to the left and find your third best corner out wide. So it's not only that you got to have a slot corner and you got to have a safety that, that can play linebacker. Your third best corner might accidentally get matched up with the best tight end in the league a handful of times each game. So the more I thought about it, I just thought defensive backs needed to be high up on the list. I actually thought about having them at number two. So your favorite, your favorite defensive back group would be? The Patriots. Yeah, it is. You know, it's just, you know, the, everything we just talked about, the Patriots have. You know, one, you know, they can play, I know they can play zone coverages and be really creative and they got smart guys that know how to organize it and disguise it like Patrick Chung and Devin McCourty and all that. But then, you know, Paul, to a bigger point you've been talking about, you know, the DB is so important, too, because of what you're saying. The formations, the offensive coordinators are more creative. The throwers and catchers are better now than they were 30 years ago. If you think you're going to play zone coverage on third and four in the NFL anymore, you better have the best pass rush in football because, you know, the good OCs are going to find a way to get in a formation and find a five-yard completion on third and four against his zone coverage. So you better have guys that can play man-to-man. And New England, to me, has one of the best duos in football with Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, let alone they have two really good safeties and McCourty and Chum. And then when you start to dive down the other names where you talk about, like guys that can be versatile and do different things, 
Oh, they got the Joe Jawan Williams out of Vanderbilt two years ago. Oh, what's he? Well, he's a 6'3 corner. In case Travis Kelsey splits out, they got a guy that's big and physical and can match his length and give him issues there. You know, in the, in the um, you know, Jason McCourty as being another corner that can play outside in case they go, wait, we got to reorganize how we do this this week. They're a little bit of a, a bigger wide receiving core. Hey, John Jones, who's a great nickel guy. We're going to keep you off the field in nickel this week because we need some bigger guys. So we're going to have J.C. Jackson, Gilmore, and, and Jason McCourty instead of Jonathan Jones where, okay, now we're playing a jitterbug type slot receiver. Hey, Jonathan Jones, you come in and cover him. So it's the versatility. It's the depth. It's the talent. It's the ability to match up with wide receiver groups that are very different across the board in the NFL. I know last week we talked about, like, you know, uh, I think I talked about it with Ahmed. You know, wide receiver rooms, a lot of times, you, you want them to be like a basketball team. You know, you want that big post-up guy that can catch 50-50 jump balls. You want that slot guy who can cut on a dime and make all those things happen. You want, you know, that shooting guard who can just fly and just do it all. And within that, if you expect to stop those type of offenses, you better have DBs that can match up with that too. And I think that's where Bill Belichick, of course, has been ahead of the game, and he's realized that. In your mind, how close are safeties to being tied with corners in terms of importance of looking at the entire group? I, I, right now, I mean, I, I'd argue it's as, as important as ever because, you know, to something you let off the segment about, you know, most teams are playing five DBs every, almost every play. You know, half the game is probably about close to six DBs. So you need a guy that, you know, with the safety play, hey, Jamal Adams, we need you to play, you know, your deep half and have great range back there. Oh, hey, it's second down. We got the same personnel group, and we need you to get up there and be like a linebacker now. Can you can you tackle and take on pulling guards? You know, oh, hey, now it's third down. We need you to cover a tight end man-to-man. So the safety play, because of the versatility of the offenses, the offense is staying at the line of scrimmage and, you know, not huddling and getting in tempo offenses and doing signals. You got to have guys in the back end who can do a little bit of everything so your defense isn't compromised with, you know, getting stuck out there with the wrong personnel and all of a sudden you can't match up and you got to call a timeout and reorganize your thoughts or whatever. Uh, I think safety play very important. Before I get back to the offense, it's going to be heavy offense here for a while, too, as I look at my list. Who, who came up second on your on your list of best DBs? Well, the Ravens. I, the Ravens jumped right out to me. And ultimately, really, what, what led me not to give the Ravens the edge, because the Ravens, I think you could sit here and argue, you know, the corners, when you talk about Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith, you start to go, well, damn, that can rival the New England Patriots. It's the safety that's an issue for me with the Baltimore Ravens. You know, that they're just not as talented as the guys in New England. You know, Earl Thomas, a legend, a Hall of Famer, but he's not one of the 10 best safeties in football anymore. That ship is gone. It's done. Sorry. So that was really the, the issue there. I also thought about the Los Angeles Chargers. I think they're in the running of things out there. Will you go through that and go, you know, the Chris Harris Jr. and Derwin James and Casey Hayward. Uh, and, you know, I'm blanking on the other corner they got over there, number 43. I'm blanking on him. But they got him and Desmond King from your Iowa and all these guys that can do different things, too, to where that's a pretty damn impressive group that uh, certainly jumped out to me. Okay, defensive backs third, right after defensive line, I had as the second most important group. Now we're getting back to offense. We're going to stay here for a little while. 
Fourth most important group I have is offensive line. And I had quarterbacks once. You got to protect those guys. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing who you think has the most depth here because we could all name the best offensive tackle and we could talk about left tackle and right tackle being drafted high. But I want to hear about the best group. And I'm paying special attention here to who you think has the guys who can move around, someone who can play right tackle and left guard and have that versatility and depth because you don't get to keep that many offensive linemen on your roster, unfortunately. No, you don't. And it's, you know, as you said, it's an important position. We just talked about D-line, how important that is. There's more physical freaks at the defensive line positions than ever before in the history of football. So you better have some cows up front that can move people out of the way. And you're right. You know, one of the challenges I fell into was, whoa, okay, this group's got, you know, four out of five awesome offensive linemen, but damn, they got no depth. And wow, this one's got three out of five, but that does have depth. And, you know, where to balance that and go with that conversation was not easy. But, you know, ultimately what I ended up with was the team, one of the teams that I thought was one of the best offensive lines, you know, really has some decent depth to go along with it. And that's the Indianapolis Colts. I'm going to go with the Colts. And even though I don't think they had just the absolute best year last year, and I don't think it was all because of the offensive line, I just look at them. And when you go five across the board, just to start at that conversation right there, you know, four out of the five are really damn good players. And Quentin Nelson is the best offensive lineman in football for my money. So the fact that they have him and then – at Ryan Kelly at center, who's really good. And then Braden Smith at, you know, the right tackle position. He's really good football player. So you take that into account. And then, okay, hey, there's Mark Lowinski, right? He's there. He's the weak link. All right, and we'll see. I don't know. He might not even be a starter this year, but he's still a solid football player and not the kind of guy you look on the film and you go, oh, man, they're just ruined. He can't block anybody. But then to your depth conversation – you know, they got guys like LaRaven Clark there who can play guard and tackle. You know, Quentin Nelson could probably play some guard and tackle, maybe even some center if you need to. They got Chaz Green on the roster who's, you know, played for a few teams, played for the Dallas Cowboys, but has experience and size who has a little guard tackle versatility. So between the top end talent and then having those top end talent guys with some versatility there, and then added to those guys I just mentioned in the background, I sit there and go, okay, they're awesome, but they could also sit there and withstand one or two injuries on that offensive line for a four or five week frame and still be really damn good and not have to like change the way they play football. And thinking about depth offensively, I go back to what we talked about first with the quarterback group and you had the Saints at number one. The Colts were a team I had written down for depth purposes at one and two that might show up there as well with Philip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett now being the backup with all the experience he's gained the last no doubt years. no doubt you know and they were one of the teams I brought up you know of course and they drafted you know the kid uh out of Washington and in, in the draft so yeah I mean they, they were one that jumped out to me too from that quarterback position what's the interesting thing Paul what I started to realize was as I did this exercise you started to see certain teams that were in the conversation a lot at different positions. And, you know, then it starts to make you think, you go, damn, this team's going to be good because I'm like on my fifth position group and they've had 
a group in like three or four of those categories in the top five where I deliberated making them, you know, part of the answer. So uh, that speaks to Chris Ballard, his ability to, as a GM. He's awesome that way. And, you know, he's got a, a coach in Frank Wright who came from Philadelphia and understands from his days in Buffalo that, hey, listen, it's, it's important. You know that. If you want to be able to throw the ball like Jim Kelly and have Thurman Thomas have big holes to run through, you better have a really damn good offensive line. And, you know, they value that. and They've done a good job of collecting talent there. I'm wondering how much consideration you gave to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they've been yeah. long thought of as the best offensive line. They lose Travis Frederick, major part of their interior part of the offensive line. And also the Ravens, they also lost a Hall of Fame piece. And Frederick's not a Hall of Fame piece, but they lost a guard in Marshall Yonda, who will be in Canton someday. How about those two teams? Yeah, they, they, they're, on, they're right here on the short list. There's no doubt about it. You know, the Ravens, I love the two tackles. They're gigantic, you know. But the guard center, especially without Yonda, the three guards, I mean, the two guards and center combination, listen, they're good, but they don't blow me away. Now, they do have depth there in Baltimore, so I like that fact to it. But I just don't know if the top five was good enough for me to compare them to the Colts. And, you know, some people are going to go, well, they had the number one rushing offense in football. Okay, I understand that. That doesn't mean they were the best offensive line in football. You know, if you put if you put Lamar Jackson behind the Colts offensive line and they devise a running back for him, trust me, he'd have big holes too. It wouldn't be like, oh, no, I can't run anywhere. Where's my Baltimore blockers? So, you know, I think that was the big thing. But the interior part there for really them, and I think the Dallas Cowboys, they have a question at center and guard. You know, we know one of their guards, like you said, with Zach Martin is awesome. He's probably the second best offensive lineman in football behind Quentin Nelson. Uh, but, yeah, there's a center guard question there in Dallas. Tyrone Smith has really battled some injuries the last two years. And I think those were the little things I looked at to just go, eh, I don't think it's quite as good as the Colts. Now, I got one, two other teams that jumped out to me in this combo. You know, the Saints, that's another offensive line you can look at, especially with their current draft pick and Cesar Ruiz in the first round. You know, the tackles they have, right, Rams check might be the best right tackle of the game. Teron Armstead's really good. I don't think he's, like, in the conversation for one of the best, but he's really good. Andrus Pete, you know, at guard, when he's there, he's really good, too. So that was another team, Paul, that I looked at that was really close. Um, I think just who plays center, who plays guard there was the reason I didn't go with that. And then sneaky, the San Francisco 49ers. You know, yeah. the fact that they the fact that they added Trent Williams, mm. you know, I looked at that top five group right there and went, damn, that's a really when you just talk about, you know, Trent Williams, McGlinchey, Weston Richburg and Lakin Tomlinson at guard, that four right there, that, that'll compete with any four in football. That will. Now, that other guard position makes, makes you want a little bit more, and their depth isn't great, and Trent Williams hasn't played football in a year, and that's why I, these are all the reasons I led the Colts as the number one O-line in football. Niners are a great point to bring up with the way they ran the ball in some big games last year. Uh, that one makes a whole lot of sense. So quarterback yeah. one, D-line, then DBs. Offensive line at four brings us to number five here in Sim City. And I bet you can guess what position group I have here at five. I mean, I've, I've gone heavy emphasis on both sides of the ball on the passing game. So who do you think is the fifth most important position group? Well, I, I would think it's wide receiver. I would think that's you where correct. you're going. Okay, good. Yeah. And yes. uh, go ahead. Let me hear your logic for it. 
Well, it's 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 no longer just the big fast guy outside, and it's so much more quarterback friendly to have somebody in the slot. Ideally, you have a tight end. We'll get to tight ends here in a moment on the other side of them. But just with the way offensive coordinators are using one formations and two different types of bodies, that it's not just a big guy who can run fast at Z on the outside. That I want a group that's got one or maybe two guys who can be just outside that tight end and just light up whoever they put on in the slot, whether it's your third best corner, whether it's your best safety. Maybe they accidentally end up by formation. They get screwed and have a have a linebacker on that third person in a bunch out there. Uh, but it's the number of ways with formations and the number of different types of body types the coordinators are using. Why I almost had them in front of the offensive line. I thought I might get a little bit scolded by you. And I, I didn't feel great <laughs> about having wide receivers in front of the offensive line. But there was no way they were going to be any lower than five. Well, for some reason, I feel like wide receivers get discredited, you know, a, a little bit right now. Like, I, you know, I hear this talking point a lot when I watch football shows on TV or listen to the radio. You know, name me the number, you know, the last time the number one receiver in the league won a Super Bowl. Oh, OK. I mean, yeah, you're right. I, I can't name it. I don't know. But like that doesn't mean the teams that won the Super Bowl didn't have really good receivers. I mean, that's insane. I mean, it, it truly is. I mean, you just go through the teams right now or whenever. I mean, the Patriots team that won Super Bowls, they had really good receivers. You know, I know they weren't all like it wasn't Randy Moss or Terrell Owens, but they were really good. You know, and again, I mean, last time I checked, Kansas City has good receivers. They just won the Super Bowl. You know, Pittsburgh Steelers and the ones they won with Big Ben, they still had good receivers. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay at that time had good receivers. So I don't like that argument. You know, John Elway, Rod Smith, and Ed McCaffrey were really good receivers. I know they weren't Randy right. Moss, but they were really good. Right. So I hate how that's, like, become a talking point right now. Uh, it's a little Do you think they should have been me. higher on this list? Do you think that position group should be higher than fifth? <sighs> It's to me, it's, it's, you know, I, it's argue. It, you could argue between them and the secondary. Maybe. I don't know. It's close. It's close. I have no issue. I would have put the old line in front of them. Certainly. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think if you made me, if you made me pin it down, I would probably make wide receivers fifth too. I really would. I think that that makes a lot of sense, but I just don't like when people say, Oh, you don't need great receivers to win a Super Bowl. That's insane. That's stupidity. Right. Exactly. And your fifth, your so wide receivers as a group, I have as the fifth most important. Who do you have as your favorite group? The team that won the Super Bowl. I'm going with the Chiefs. I don't mean to be like you know Johnny Chalk here, but you know when I just look at the room they have as a whole, you know, first off. The top-end talent is special, let alone if one of the top-end talent guys get hurt, they got other guys behind them that are also special. And, you know, I looked for wide receiver rooms that I felt like had three or more guys that I went, damn, that's a good group. I know there's maybe you could argue there's better duos out there in the NFL across the league, but, you know, for the purpose of this exercise and team building, I got to have at least three and really want four. And I think that's where, you know, you get into Kansas City, when you really look at them, of course, you know, Tyree Kill and, and uh, Sammy Watkins, yes. But the fact that they have, you know, McCole Hardman right there to be like, oh, hey, Sammy's hurt this week. McCole, can you get in? 
and we don't want to really miss a beat. We still need a guy that can run 4-3 and scare the shit out of people. Oh, hey, no problem. We got one of those guys. Throw him in there, coach. Yeah. You know, and then to have Demarcus Robinson as your fourth, you know, that to me is where I just look at them and go, damn, you know, their offense, one injury at that position. We saw Tyree Kill get hurt last year. Didn't really hurt their offense. Sammy Watkins missed a bunch of games. Didn't really hurt their offense. So I think between that, you know, I would have liked maybe in the perfect world for them to have one more guy that you could count on. You'd like really to have five, but I think their four are so damn good. I just got to give them give them the leader the lead here uh, as far as that position is concerned. And really, their fifth could be considered Travis Kelsey. He, he I know, well, but he is like an extra receiver. So we'll get to him. We'll get to the tight ends here in, in just a little bit. How about some other groups? I mean, and it's it's impossible to argue with Kansas City. They won the entire thing, so no argument there. I'd like to hear who's second, third, and fourth on your list, though. Yeah, I, I think the the teams that came out to me more than any right off the bat, the Bills. All right, I I think when you look at the Bills and go Cole Beasley, John Brown, and Stephon Diggs, and then they have some other down the line guys like Robert Foster and Isaiah McKenzie, who I think are really good players too. I went, damn, that's a really good five they got. Like a really good puts five. Puts a lot of pressure. On, puts a lot of pressure on Josh Allen next year. It does. They, they, listen, they don't have that excuse anymore this year. They got everything. So, yeah, he's going to have to be on his game. And if he's not, you know, throwing completions, it's not gonna, we're not going to be able to make any other excuses up for him this year. And you know I love Josh Allen. I'm a believer uh, in his abilities. Right. The Cardinals, I think they're one team you got to throw there into this conversation a little right now. You know, with DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, I'm missing another name that I wanted to think. Andy Isabella in the conversation. And there's still one more guy. When I look at that group, I go, damn, that's pretty good. And then the Texans, you know, yeah, I know they let go of DeAndre Hopkins. But still, to have Cooks, Phil Fuller, and Kenny Stills as being your top three options right off the bat, you know, that's a really good three to where all three can have a similar skill set. You won't be able to pin one guy to doing one certain thing. So, you know, th those were ones that jumped out to me. But I think just the Chiefs' top-level talent and the fact that they have four really good ones. And I forgot Randall Cobb, sorry, and Kiki Kuti. That's who I was thinking of. So I can't do it all. I can't talk into a FaceTime and look up all the info and all that. So I knew I was blanking on two names of that Texas team. But, damn, that's a good group. Way to go, Pete Dimolitis, yeah. with that text message to remind me who I was missing there. So maybe you're, you're one of the few people who are thinking about Houston Texans football that are not mad at Bill O'Brien for trading away his best receiver. If they're getting mentioned as one of the best three or four groups without him and they got David Johnson as well and a draft pick, I mean, maybe that wasn't such a bad move. I mean, I you know, again, I, I think he got thrown under the bus too drastically, Bill O'Brien, in this conversation with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, one, you know, you can't play Laramie Tunsil, Deshaun Watson, and DeAndre Hopkins, you know, all top market money. You know, Laramie Tunsil's the richest lineman in football. Oh, and then we're going to have the richest wide receiver in football. And then, oh, hey, Deshaun Watson's coming up, and he'll be the second richest player in all of football behind Patrick Mahomes. You know, it's just not possible to build a team that way. And I think Bill O'Brien knew that, and he knew he had to move on from it. But he did a good job of, you know, filling that DeAndre Hopkins void. And to me, I'll be interested, Paul, and you just tell me your thoughts here. Like, 
you know, I, I don't know. There's some ways where I think they could be better. And I know that nobody on that roster is as good as DeAndre Hopkins. But I'm saying from this standpoint, in a big moment, any big play, it always is Watson looking for DeAndre Hopkins. And there's a lot of big moments I could show you where it didn't work out because, of course, the defense knew that too. And they doubled him in big situations and took him away and did all that. You know, now they might have a little bit of a, hey, let's just call the offense. And we got three and four good receivers out there. And whoever's open, you know, Deshaun, just find the fucking guy and throw him the ball. Right? I think that and right. that could be a better formula for them instead of Deshaun going, ah, I don't really trust that one guy. Forget the concept. Let me just play backyard football and it'll be me and DeAndre and we'll make something happen. You know, they, they're great. They can make it happen a lot. But I don't know if you can beat the really, really great teams that way. I think the answer to that question lies with uh, two people. Number one, is Randall Cobb still a quality receiver? If he can still give him quite a bit, then that combined with if David Johnson can be even close to what he was a couple right. of seasons ago, if you have that kind of threat out of the backfield in the passing game, and Randall Cobb is still pretty good. So those two players at a good level versus DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, I think most would still pick Hopkins. However, yeah, – that that combo of great receiver out of the backfield and quality third guy in Cobb, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying it might be a little yeah. harder to defend them as a complete offense this year. As in, you know, if you and I went back and watched every big third and five from last year, I we could probably sit there and go, all right, here's Hopkins. Watch, they're going to devise a play to try to get him the ball. Now, it might have not always gone there, but the play was for him. And there were certainly some big moments during the year. The Kansas City game is one that jumps to my mind. The regular season matchup, they had a fourth down where they tried to throw a slot slant to DeAndre Hopkins. Well, a few weeks before that, they had done that against the Indianapolis Colts and got the first down. So the Kansas City Chiefs watch film and they know what's going on. And they said, you're not going to do that to us. And, you know, I think that could be a good thing for Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien for this Texans offense. Hey, fast forwarding to next year when we do this exercise, I wonder if the Denver Broncos are going to be on this group with young, talented receivers in between your one and two or two and three, and then their first round pick, Jerry Judy, and second round pick, Hamler out of Penn State. I know. Uh, that's right. one to, that'll be a fun one to keep an eye on to see if they show up here in this conversation, too. Definitely. Tight end, no surprise, at number six. It was offensive line four, wide receiver five, and now we've got the tight ends here at six. Tight ends, you know, there's a lot of good duos out there, right? That's one thing I'll say. You know, hey, Philadelphia got Goddard and Ertz. You go, oh, okay, is that it? You know, but I was looking for more than just a duo here. Again, you know, I don't, I don't want a duo or just a duo. If you're a team that runs a lot of two tight end sets and all of a sudden one of those guys get hurt, you know, damn, your offense is screwed. And then, you know, you got to start to find a new way and probably play a receiver that you don't feel comfortable with and play him more. So, you know, I, I looked for tight ends that had more than two or teams that had more than two tight ends to really fill out the mm -hmm. roster. And again, that would have been, you know, New England's approach. You know, when they were going tight end heavy, they, they didn't, they had people in case Aaron Hernandez or Rob Gronkowski got hurt to where they could still do it. Now, not, not at that level, but they could still run their offense. So, yeah, there was, there was a few teams that came out to me, but I think ultimately it became a two-man race when I really dove into it. 
And you know who won. You know. Who do you think won here? For the tight ends? I yeah. actually don't. I, I, I'm all ears. Okay. There's a number I think of groups Tampa that come Bay, to mind. I think it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I got to go with the Tampa really? Bay Buccaneers here. I do. I just think when you look at three guys who have really everything to their football game, I, I am going to give them, you know, Cameron Brake can block, and he's a good pass-catching tight end. O.J. Howard, again, I feel like just because he was drafted in the first round, we all think he's crap. No, I know he hasn't performed to a top-20 pick level, but he's still a good tight end. And there's just not a lot of them out there in the league that are as big as he is and can run the way he can after the catch. And he's a pretty damn good blocker, too. And then now you add the greatest tight end of all time, who I know has missed a year, certainly, but he's still, like, in pretty prime playing age. You know, I just look at those three and go, man, one injury happens, nothing's going to happen. They can get in three tight end sets and play power football or split them out, and they could all run routes that way. So I think ultimately I just think those three guys, the quality and size and strength and ability to run and block and all those things, I gave them the edge just a little bit over the Las Vegas Raiders. That was my second team at the tight end position, oddly enough. I want to hear more about those Raiders in a moment, but listen to you talk about the tight ends for Tampa Bay. They're also really, really good at wide receiver. A number of different kind of weapons there. This is why I have defensive backs third on the list of important groups in building a team, because think about defending the Buccaneers next year. If you don't have a bunch of really good defensive backs with those tight ends and those receivers and Tom Brady, you're screwed. You're screwed. I agreed. You know, and yeah, it's it's got to be, you know, whether you know, there's a lot of ways you can attack it, whether you got coverage linebackers who are basically like safeties, right, who can run with these tight ends or safeties or big corners, whatever it may be. But, yeah, you know, you talked about like, Hey, they're wide receivers. We know they're dangerous. Now, it's a little bit of a two-man race. You know, they drafted a kid out of Minnesota, Tyler Johnson, that I like. Certainly, they got Jaden Mickens there. Okay, but really, it's Chris Godwins and Mike Evans. But when you talk about, yeah, those two guys and then those two tight ends or two of those three tight ends on the field at the same time, yeah, to your point, Paul, they're really going to put defenses in a tough spot. I mean, they really are. You know, how do you cover that group? Godwin, as good as he is in the slot and moving around, you know, so, okay, you got a smaller guy on him, but then you need a bigger DB for Mike Evans. And then, man, we need a bigger DB for OJ Howard. And then, wait, what the hell are we going to do with Gronk? Are we going to put a linebacker on him? No way. He's going to tear a linebacker apart. There's no chance they have him covering him. So then you go, okay, wait, do we have another big corner? Or do we have to put our safety out there? You know, so there's, you're right. They're going to pose some problems just before the game even starts with teams figuring out the personnel and how they want to match up with the Tampa Bay Bucks on first and second down. Is that the kind of team that maybe you just, even if you're used to playing man, you're like, you know what, we're going to play zone against these guys because we don't have enough different kinds of athletes in the back end to match up with what they might roll out there on any down. Yeah. I, I think you're going to have to dabble with that. And, you know, there's going to be certain teams that I do think that can match up with them. You know, I do, but at the same time, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be have to be careful too, you know, of too much man to man 
and they're switching guys around and it's confusing your defense. And wait, we thought they were going to split out receivers, the tight ends. Now they're over here playing, you know, traditional tight end. They're going to play power run football. Wait, we have our DBs on the edge of the defense now being responsible for the D and E gaps on the outside. That's not good. Oh, we better check the zone and get back in. Hey, linebackers, get back in here. Help us out. We got a 190 pound corner. that's going to have to set the edge against Rob Gronkowski. So, yeah, you're going to have to be very careful about how you – what defenses you call. And really what will happen, Paul, is coaches, when they play the Bucks, will have a play sheet for certain personnels to where, okay, this personnel's in, and we have our personnel that matches it. And also they'll probably have checks as according to certain formations the Bucks are in so they don't get caught in some of those scenarios that I just explained. Buccaneers loaded at tight end. A nice job of pointing that out. So here's a scenario for you. Let's say end of preseason with Gronk, with Brait, and with Howard. Some team offers a mid-round pick or third or fourth round pick for either Brait or Howard. Would you say, you know what? I'm going to stay with these three because I love what we can do. Or are you going to go with that trade? No, I'm staying. You know, Bucks. it's too late. You're all in. It's Tom Brady time. It's Tampa Bay. It's Tampa Tom, whatever the hell you want to call it. But they're all in for the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, 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 one, we know this is not a great offensive line down there in Tampa. The tight ends can help that out. You got another body to help in max protection. You know, they can help in the run game, and especially the edge run game. And, you know, Brady, we know, is a master at throwing the tight end. I mean, that's one of the things I think I mean, I've always been amazing. You have people around them in the pocket. Oh, man. And he could still throw a 30-yard laser down the middle to Rob Gronkowski. And, yeah, it might not be accurate because he's got people hanging all over him, but he knows where he is and he knows how to put it in a spot to where, oh, the big tight end could get it or nobody does. And I, I just think, too, with, you know, not a really deep wide receiver core they have in Tampa, too, you got to take the tight ends into an account to help that out, like you said. you got to almost count the tight ends as semi-slash receivers this day and age in the NFL, too to where, you know, they're going to play an important part in the passing game. I'm sure Brady's going to have some plays that they ran in New England for the tight end that Arizona's going to, I mean, not Arizona, the Tampa Bay's going to go, ooh, we never thought of it or did it this way. That's interesting. So I just think uh, it would make two cents. You're all in right now. Go for it. These are good tight ends, and I think they are going to help that football team out in a lot of ways. Tell us a little more about the Raiders showing up there at number two on your best group of tight ends. Well, the Raiders are like under the radar. First off, Jason Witten's there, right? So, hey, Jason Witten, I know it's the end of his career, but, you know, he's still the way he played last year. I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I mean, called some games and not that he was like a superstar, but he was still really good. He could still block people. You know, he's not scary in the past game, but he's certainly smart and knows how to run routes and use people's leverage against them to where if you need a six-yard, eight-yard completion, Jason Witten still get open. But the big thing is, is they have tremendous depth and versatility. Like, it was really close to me. First off, I don't know if a lot of people realize that Darren Waller was like, you know, statistically one of the best tight ends in football last year. Right. And really the go-to guy for that Raiders team and had what, like 11, over 1,100 yards receiving. So he's really good. But then when you get into Nick O'Leary, who's a really good H-back utility tight end who could do some different things, right? We said Jason Witten, Foster Moreau, 
big kid they got a few years ago out of LSU is a big blocking tight end who's just decent in the pass game, nothing special, but brings the blocking aspect to it. You know, they got three or four guys, and I know Gruden values the tight end position, who are real solid players with one who's about to be a household superstar at the tight end position that people just don't know about. And that's Darren Waller. So they were very close in the running there with me for with uh, Tampa Bay at that tight end position. And we shall see as the season picks up and goes on who is throwing them the ball. I think Derek Carr uh, is on his final chance there. And Marcus Mariota sitting there waiting in the wings. We'll see who is the guy as the season plays out. At number seven, and then we'll go to eight and nine, and that'll be it on this Sim City building a team. Seven, I have special teams. And I know you didn't spend a lot of time on the punters <laughs> and the kickers, uh, but number one, there's so many one-score games. And I, I kind of wanted to make a point about w- where I think the running game has gone and uh, the importance or lack thereof with, with the positions that really say, this pick is about the running game. And it could get some people to complain to say, you know what, it's still about running the football it's still about stopping the run, but I have those two positions coming up here as last, and I have special teams at number seven ahead of what's coming up here in running back and linebacker. Well, I think it's often glossed over, and me included, right? I didn't know we were going to quite do that on this uh, this pod. I, I didn't pay attention to the text message from Pete Demolitolitis of the whole rundown, so I kind of just went position for position. And then yep. I'm sitting here before the podcast looking and go, oh, damn, wait, they wanted to talk about special teams. And I got on the, the mic here and I was like, hey, guys, I didn't do the special teams part. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, shame on all of us. Shame on me. We don't talk about it on a weekly, uh, a week, weekly basis enough during the regular season as far as it being an important part, you know, of a team. And, you know, more times than not, when you look at the teams who are the top of the NFL record-wise – they're very good on special teams. Of course, it's the third phase. Hey, you know, the, the Chiefs were awesome at kick returns and awesome at making field goals. And then they have an awesome punter. Huh. Oh, and hmm. an awesome offense. So two out of the three phases, they're awesome. And they were awesome and won the Super Bowl. So, you know, I look at that. Hey, we know what the Baltimore Ravens and Justin Tuck does for that team on a yearly basis. So uh, I think if you made me pick one, though, it probably would be that Kansas City Chiefs special teams that it jumps out to me, just to give you an answer there. Yeah, and Ravens are always a good choice, too, in that position, too. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Okay, the eighth right. most important part of building a team I have down is running back. And I already have the offensive line at four. I think they're more important part of the running game. And I'd love to have Zeke Elliott. I'd love to have an awesome running back on my team. But you can't be awesome everywhere, as you and I have talked about. And I think capable. I think if you're really good at quarterback and on the offensive line, if you're just capable at the running back spot, I think you can win a lot of games. Yeah, agreed. You know, and again, I mean – Like, I'm not picking the Carolina Panthers here. You know, we could say Christian McCaffrey's the best running back in football and go through that exercise, and I get that. But if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, I don't think very much of the rest of the roster there. So if we're building a team, that wouldn't be that smart there. And they better keep their fingers crossed that he doesn't get hurt because it's going to hurt their offense in a big way. You know, so you got to have – you look at the really good teams, whether it's the Eagles in the Super Bowl a few years ago, the Patriots every year. Of course, last year with the the San Francisco 49ers, you know, what they did have was a lot of running backs to what you've already said. You know, that's because it gives you flexibility scheme wise. Oh, this these this guy's banged up. We know how physical the position is in general to where, man, these running backs got nicks and knacks and are, you know, banged up almost every week all year. So if you only have one or two, then you're going to be in deep crap. Like ask the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would say they have one. One gets keeps getting hurt, and then you go, damn, they don't have a running back worth a damn on the roster, right? Right. I mean, James Conner gets hurt last year, and they're trying to make shit up in the running game because they got nobody. So, you know, depth there is important to your point, and I think this is another – I mean, it's a good one. There was some teams with impressive, you know, rosters at the running back position, but I think ultimately here – I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens as the running back group that I would want more than any in football. You know, I think with the Ravens, I think the big thing is they got four running backs that are capable and it's like they got a they got a good power back and a good speed back. And then they got a good backup power back and a good backup speed back. And that's what I like. And of course, like we said, we've seen New England do it with Deion Lewis and James White and LeGarrette Blunt and whoever else that could run the football. They always had more than one guy. So, yeah, I look at this and go, okay, you got Mark Ingram, sledgehammer, explodes to the hole, will just absolutely knock your head off, head, you know, you know, head, head on in a, in a collision. I mean, runs aggressive. You know, then Gus Edwards there to back him up. Wow, that's pretty damn good backup. I mean, he's he's a player. But then, okay, you got Justice Hill, who they drafted two years ago at Oklahoma State, a little bit of a speed guy. You can get him out of the edge. Lamar Jackson wants to, you know, pitch him the ball on the option or whatever. He's scary, but he ain't as scary as J.K. Dobbins now, who's in that race. I mean, J.K. Right. Dobbins, holy crapola. You know, I can just picture, you know, Lamar Jackson in the shotgun, those big suckers on the offensive line. The Ravens, they got two good tight ends. We probably didn't talk about them enough in that position. But then you got Dobbins and Ingram on both sides of you. You know, what do you do as a defense? Like, man, Ingram up the middle, scary. 
Man, Lamar Jackson on the edge is scary. Whoa, J.K. Dobbins on the edge is even scarier. You know, so I look at that group right there and go, they could withstand two injuries and still be a really good running back group, let alone they have four of them. And I think two of them are very, very special. So with the focus on quantity, and the Ravens are a great example, really over uh, one or two who's just tremendous quality, who do you have as your second best group? And go ahead and throw out uh, some honorable, honorable mention teams there as well. Well, I think the Colts were the team that I looked at as being the next, the next group up or the next team up as far as depth and, you know, again, top-end talent. You know, first off, you know I like Jonathan Taylor. I thought he was the second-best running back in the draft. I mean, he's going to be the starter. They didn't draft him in the second round to sit on the bench. He's going to be the guy. So I do love him. And, again, at 230 and you run 439, like there, there ain't many people on planet Earth that can do that. But, you know, it's the Jonathan Taylor, okay, Marlon Mack. Wow, that's awesome. Jordan Wilkins, who's a really capable guy and has had to play for them. He does good things. And then they got a guy like Naheem Hines, who we both have seen in person at North Carolina State a few years back, who's that jitterbug, Darren Sproles type guy. So they got everything. So that was one that jumped out to me, certainly. The 49ers came to mind. The Vikings came to mind, you know, especially because those top two are really special there. But they got other guys on their roster, too. I think those are the ones that probably jumped out to me more than than any other teams out there. Oh, and I did forget, the Broncos were on the list, too. I just saw Pete Dimalitolaitis texting, you know, with, with, with Philip Lindsay, you know, and um, my man Melvin Gordon. That is a pretty good group. Yeah, Melvin Gordon you know, scares well. me a little bit because of some knee, knee issues and things like that that gave me a little trepidation about them. But that is a, a damn good group, and it speaks to what you were talking about, that Broncos offense. Watch out this year. And listening to your explanation of it, uh, it, it's very similar to the wide receiver group in the sense that more important than one awesome dude is good guys who are different. They have different size. They have different types of talents. And with these running backs, you've talked about different teams, but the one thing, the one theme that's run through all of them, the groups that you like are ones that have different types of runners within the top four. Well, I just think that you got to have that versatility at that position to, you know, again, the broader point, like you've hit on a few times with offenses being more creative, the play callers being, you know, more in depth with formations and shifts and things like that. And then you got to have some guys where, yeah, you know, if it's third and seven, I, I don't want Mark Ingram running a route on a linebacker or doing anything like that. I mean, listen, I like him. Don't get me wrong. Now, if it's a blitzing team, I might want them in there to block block somebody. So that's good. Oh, wait, they blitzed their linebackers a lot? Hey, we need a physical guy this week. Hey, this team this week, they don't ever blitz. All right? And they play coverage every third down. Well, there's no point in having Mark Ingram in for that point, that, that game. Then I want J.K. Dobbins. I want a guy that, all right, let's get him out. We don't have to worry about blocking. Let's get him all in space and watch him, you know, make people miss and make them look silly. So I, I think it is an important part. And – you know, between my time in New England, I learned that. And then, of course, my buddy Kyle Shanahan and his beliefs there. You know, you got certain runners that are really good at outside zone. You got another guy that's a little better at inside zone. Hey, this guy is better behind a fullback or a pulling guard. He understands how to set up blocks and read off the block and make something happen. So, you know, it's a very nuanced position. And I think it's really going to be the trend of the NFL going forward. I do just, 
you know, because running backs, you know, like we know, have only a four or five year shelf life right now in the NFL for the most part. Bringing us to the, the least important group here, the ninth and final group in building a team. We're calling this team Sim City. I have linebackers last. And before we talk specifically about players and teams, do you agree? Would you have had linebackers higher on this list? I probably would have had them higher on the list. Yeah. I think that who, who would you have, I would have probably had? Yeah, I I'd probably, you know, really probably would have gone with running backs last. I think, I think I would have, I think I would have, you know, devalued them the most, you know, linebackers are really interesting conversation. It really is. And because, you know, when you talk about like, fast defenses right when usually the difference between what we would just call an average defense and a defense that's whoa really fast and they just seem like they're all over the field what you're really talking about is the linebackers in that case more times than not you know i mean you know most teams got defensive ends that can run pretty fast and fly around you know just about all the teams got secondary guys that of course can run four four i mean yeah if you're not running four four or four five in the secondary in the nfl then you, you got a horrible secondary you got issues you know, but when you really think about the great defenses of our day, Seattle Seahawks, Broncos, you know, those type of teams, they have linebackers that can fly around the field and create chaos. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's to me where it is important, let alone they do play into that conversation, Paul, that we've talked about, about being able to cover tight ends, being able to cover the running back out of the backfield, you know, and the versatility of the offense can be matched by a defense. If you have versatility of linebackers with certain guys who could do different things that way uh, and stay on the field and not have to come off. And that's that can be dangerous or that can be very tough on an offense, certainly. And that's the issue, I mean, because they often are the one position that is brought off the field to, to bring in the fifth or the sixth defensive backs. I think a lot of teams are playing with two more times than not, and that's one of the reasons I had them at last. And I also had them as the position out there defensively that even though they can play an important role against the pass, they're probably, they're, they're not as important as anybody on the defensive line and they're not as important as the defensive backs. So no. I can think a number of linebackers that I would love to have on my team, but when it comes to affecting the pass, I, I just think they're in last place on a defense. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I do. I think you're right. Now, we talk about affecting the run. That's a different conversation, sure. but you're right. When it comes to pass and the league mostly is a passing league and the teams are more pass heavy, of course. Yeah, I get you. I, I, I don't think I disagree with anything you said there, certainly. And you're right. There's a number of teams in football that only play, they might play one linebacker 50% of the game. And it's three safeties in the game with, you know, a bunch of DBs to mix and match along with it. So uh, I think there's a lot of teams that certainly don't value them quite as much as they used to, you know, back in the day of, you know, fullback and tight end sure. and two receivers yeah. and do that. It's just not the same game. Who's your favorite linebacking group in the league? I think this might shock you. All right. And again, this is not about like best duo in football. All right. I know Ooh, there's three. Better okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go three here. I'm trying to go for something with a little depth. I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers, okay? And, yeah, you know, I don't know if people really, really realize or know their names of all of these guys, but tremendous speed. They are a team that can play, on ba can play base defense, Paul, 
when some teams play three receiver sets because they got some linebackers that can run 4-4. You know, first off, Quan Alexander in the middle. Psycho can fly sideline to sideline, 4-4 LSU type linebacker. But then you get into Dre Greenlaw, you know, the guy who made the great tackle at the end of week 17 to stop the Seahawks from getting in zone. Another guy can fly around the field. You know, these guys aren't household names yet, but physical, no hesitation in their game, can cover people if they have to, unbelievable open field tacklers. Those two are, especially. And then, you know, last but not least, Fred Warner. I mean, Fred Warner, you know, he's, I think in NFL circles, yeah, you know about Fred Warner. I mean, in the NFL circles, Fred Warner's looked at as one of the better linebackers in all of football. You know, so to go along with him and then Quan Alexander and then have a guy like Dre Greenlaw, who's certainly a starting NFL middle linebacker. And then, you know, they got a little depth there with guys like Joel Walker and a few other guys where, okay, if somebody got nicked or knacked or something was issue, they're not going to like fall off earth. But I just, when I look at a three, all right, and to the point here, the team building thing, like I know there's better duos, but at linebacker, one guy gets hurt sometimes. So if it's a duo and okay, that's great, but you got shit behind them. One of those guys gets hurt. Well, I don't know. I'm not into that team. Uh, That team's going to be scary if one guy gets hurt. Like I worry about the Minnesota Vikings. If like Anthony Barr gets hurt or Eric Kendricks get hurt, their team, their defense falls off when those guys aren't in there. You know, it's very predicated on their talent and what they can do. Uh, You know, Hey, it's Seattle. Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright for years. I mean, it's amazing how they've avoided the injury bug and not had to deal with that. But they were a team that always had three linebackers for the most part. But, yeah, I look at that. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they got two good ones. But one gets hurt, then I just go, damn, you got one good one, and I don't know what the other shit you got left over. So (laughs) I look at the three here in San Francisco and go, yeah, we're mostly going to be a nickel all game long, but – if one gets banged up or gets a stinger or something, you got another guy to come in and you don't miss a beat and they can still fly around the field. So that was one that probably shocked me. I did not expect to have the 49ers as the team with the linebackers. I really didn't when I went into the exercise. And when I got done, I just went, you know what? I think I think it's true. And they won the front seven, the 49ers. So we're basically taking the 49ers front seven uh, for this exercise. <laughs> and th- th- that's one of the reasons that these exercises, like you said, are fun in May because – you kind of have a thought of where you're going to go, but then you really get into into the uh, into the weeds of something that you wouldn't do this during the season, and you come out with a deeper appreciation of some team, and it helps you with your understanding of what they're doing in the fall because of the time you put into this, uh, d- you know, during the off season because we're right. talking football in May for hours at a time. Well, yeah, well, and uh, you know, I think if you just stay like strict to the exercise too it starts to give you a good feel for, like I said earlier in the podcast, if you go, well, no wonder this team is good. Or, ooh, watch out for this team. They're going to be good. Because, you know, you sit there at the 49ers, we've talked about them in the running back conversation. We've talked about them in the offensive line conversation. I've given them the D-line and the linebackers. So, you know, that's four out of, what, eight or nine position groups where the 49ers have been towards the top of the list. No wonder they were 13-3, and you know, in the Super Bowl last year. Right, and the other team that's come up the most was it just happened to be the number one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, exactly right. Running backs, quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, they were in the conversation. Secondary, they were in the conversation. 
Yeah, corners right. at least. Exactly right. But, you know, that's, you know, that's a lot of positions to have in the conversation for one of the best in football. And, you know, that, that's it actually this is going to be one of those exercises when I got to start picking wins and teams and things like that come July and August and all that. I'm going to go yeah. back and look at some of these ranks because this is where I'm going to find some of the teams that I feel like are like, ooh, they're under the radar. They're better in these position groups and the team than than the public or Vegas is giving them credit for. And, you know, that excites me. And maybe I can be right more than I'm wrong this year picking games or, or trying to be the Oracle and, and, you know, judge the season. We'll see. <laughs> So I had linebackers last. You would have had running backs last, but that, there, there it is. That's Sim City. That's uh, building a team. Your your favorite groups in the NFL. Uh, I prioritize the groups one through nine, quarterbacks all the way to linebackers, and there you go. That, that it's all just a warm up, Chris. It's a warm up for quarterback jeopardy, and that, that's that's where we've arrived here. All right, I'm ready. You're baby. Especially going to like ready. this one. Okay, so last week it was the quarterback class in the draft of 2003. This week's version is the Big Phil version of quarterback Jeopardy, all right? Oh, I like it. I like where your head's at here. Look at you all Johnny Creative over there. Okay, let's do it. I almost wish Phil, Phil was calling in here to, to listen, but we can share with him where this went. Okay, so just to review the rules, I have five questions. Starts at 100, goes to 500. 100 should be the easiest. 500 will be tough. Last week, you had 600 points. So I like your chances here of getting above above that 600 because it's about the old man. Okay. I, I, I mean, if, there is, anyway. if I don't know my old man's career, then I don't know what I know. Right? I mean, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that would be more qualified to say they're an expert in Phil Simms' career. So I'll be disappointed if I don't at least get four out of five. Uh, I, I really would be disappointed. I, I'll probably choke on one of them. That's why I say four out of five. <laughs> okay. For 100 points, you were born August 29th, 1980. One week later, your dad led the Giants to a 41-35 win at the Cardinals. What city was the game played in? Oh, okay, good. You got me scared there for a second. I was—I thought you were going to ask me like his stats for the first game, and I was like, "Damn, I don't know." That would be St. Louis Cardinals at that time. I—I I just gave away a hundred points. That was too easy. Hundred points. That was. All that years, was way right? too easy. I mean, but you did—you didn't. I remembered where the Giants had their NFC East teams that played against back in that day. You're crazy, but I'll take it. I want it. You got me scared there for a second. I was like, "Oh no, is he going to ask me about?" So I'm, I'm glad. I'll take it. One for one. Okay, for 200. The final win of Big Phil's career came on Wild Card Weekend in 1994, home victory over Minnesota. A certain Giants had 39 touches for 185 yards and two touchdowns. Who? Rodney Hampton, number 27 from the University of Georgia. Yep, that was, I remember that day. I was a little nervous at halftime. I believe the Vikings were winning the football game with, you know, Jim McMahon, a quarterback and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going, yeah. Oh shit. Like, you know, the giants are in trouble. Damn. My dad might lose a home playoff game, all that, but they battled back in the second half. And, and what, what was the final score of that one? Did it you was close. You, you were right on. I thought, yeah. I don't have the final score written. It was a close game that they kind of pulled right. away in the end. Roddy Hampton had two touchdowns in third quarter, but at halftime, wasn't looking good. I, I wanted to pick a couple games where I knew you would be like old enough to remember. So I mean, you Thank were you. 
Yeah. So you, you were 13 years old, certainly old enough to know that you were freezing at that game. And it was tough for the old man to throw it. You know what was fun? Uh, going back to, to late 93, your dad had a very good season. And I wanted to be sure to include something from there. After Thanksgiving, he didn't throw a pick in the rest of the regular Damn. season and, and in that, in that uh, playoff win. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, but um, that, that's pretty big killed time the next for... week. They got killed the next week at San Francisco. Killed. So the 49ers, Ricky running water. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, Ricky running waters. I think he scored five touchdowns the next week in the divisional playoff game. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, and two, hey, I'll give big guy a credit. At year, you know, year 15 of his career, he played yeah. really well. He, w- he went to the Pro Bowl and he was playing in the NFC East, which was no joke at that time. With the Eagles, the Cowboys, right. of course, were the best team in football, and the Redskins were no slouch. So uh, oh. for him to have that year and, and, like you said, throw no interceptions after Thanksgiving, that's a pretty big deal. Redskins no slouch. I mean, the late 80s, early 90s, Redskins, you know, won maybe two or three Super Bowls. So, yeah, that they was – They did, yeah. That was, right. <laughs> that was every Sunday. I felt like it was watching your dad listening to Pat Summerall and watching some game where it was 17 to 10 and freezing. <laughs> That was right. that was football growing up. Yeah. Okay, 300 points. Nice job. You got the 100 and 200 easily. For 300, Big Phil threw for a career best 513 yards in an October of 85 loss at Cincinnati. Who right. was his leading receiver that day? Oh, wow. And wait, are tight ends in this conversation? Can we count them too? Or yeah, is it who, truly who had the, Yeah, who now, who was who, who had was the most the, that's a yard. question. Yeah. Who was the most productive pass catcher? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. This is a good one. And, you know, this is, you know, my dad, he threw for 513 yards. They lost the game. And I believe the very next week he threw for 400 and something yards against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, And for a long time, it was the back-to-back two biggest yardage games in the history of the NFL. I know I think Brady and a few other guys have passed it since then. All right. All right. I'm not, this is not the answer. I'm just talking this out a little bit. So 85, gosh, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I don't want to, I mean, this is not my answer. I'm just talking Lionel Manuel, Zeke Moat, Mark Bavaro was there. I'm going to go with Zeke Moat. Almost. Is it Mark right Bavaro? position, wrong guy. It was Bavaro. It's Bavaro? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Damn, damn, so damn. Close. I, I just thought it was like, over 100 yards, rookie yeah. year, maybe they didn't throw him the ball quite that much that game. My initial thought was to go with Bavaro. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought you were going to get it right away because you asked if tight ends were in the conversation. That, that's so, yeah. it's where my mind went right away. I was thinking about Bavaro. I was. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I was. And, uh, yeah, I mean, dad – Dad jammed a whole lot of seam routes in there to Mark Bavaro. Covered, oh, uncovered. He did. Yeah, he could throw some lasers in there. And then Bavaro, of course, like a Gronk, you know, it just didn't matter if he was covered. He had such a big wingspan. He was so tough and physical that he would just go up and right. snag it. But, uh, yeah, good old Mark Bavaro. He was an unbelievable player for the New York Giants. You were Shit, right. He Paul. went to uh, Big Phil. What's that? Shit, what? I can't believe I huh? missed that. <laughs> you talked yourself out of it. You should, you I should totally have answered did. it right away because because you, you would have got it right. Yeah. And what were you going to okay. say there? What were you going to say about that? The, the, did you have the stats for that next game? Yeah. So it was five thirteen, and the one we talked about, and then it was four thirty two against the Cowboys. So 
I mean, he was he was well over 900 yards. That's 945 in two weeks. The interesting thing is they lost both those games. I mean, like they did. You don't want your point guard scoring 48 points. You, you, you'd rather have him score 22 and have 15 assists. So, I mean, they, they were playing some catch up there. And Boomer Esiason in the game we talked about, didn't he didn't throw for many yards. They must have been running wow. the ball pretty well because I, Boomer they, was they just handing off a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's exactly. crazy. I mean, and the Giants, you know, the Giants went to the playoffs in 84, 85, of course, won the Super Bowl in 86. But yeah, right. I mean, that that's that, uh, it does. It says a lot, you know, that they were throwing the ball like that. They were a very aggressive passing team. You know, I you know, I sometimes hear people talk about my dad and they go, oh, your dad was a game manager. And I want to go, what? I mean, try to find a touchdown pass under 10 yards in my dad's career. Everything right. was you know, huge throw down the field, 15, 20, 30, 40 yard throws, you know, and, and not easy throws that way either. I mean, it really was until they got into, you know, 86. And then they started to get later in the nineties, they became more of a ball, ball control offense. It became efficient that way. And that's the way they kind of played with Bill Parcells and everything. But early on, you know, big, th- big fill through for 4,000 yards in 1984. That was a lot of yards back then. It's almost like you knew you knew the uh, question there for the 400 points here, Chris. I have written down here the big effort through for 4,000 yards in a season. Did he do it one time, twice, or three times? He only did it one time. You know, he's got a lot of 3,000 yards. Yeah, but that 1984 yeah. year was, was the year. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's right. I mean – you know, yeah, but you know, four thousand yards back then, and this is what's amazing. Like four thousand yards would be like deal. five thousand yards now, right? I mean, pretty much. I feel like it's a. I'm gonna say I'm gonna that. say it'd be like it'd be like fifty five hundred now. Wow, you're gonna say that much? Okay, that's good. But yeah. what's insane is Dan Marino threw for five thousand yards that, that same year. damn year, which is insane. I know, completely insane. And here you go. There was one quarterback. Because the old man was third. There was one quarterback between Marino and Big Phil. This is not officially part of quarterback Jeopardy. Just a fun little one to throw out there. Who's the quarterback that was in between Marino and Sims? Wow. You're never going to get it. No, I'm never going to get it. It's not, it's not Kenny it's, O'Brien, is it? No. No. Um, give me a hint. You got a hint for me? What division did he play in, at least? Can you tell me that? Yeah, we, we've already talked about his team. His team has come up here one time in this game. Boomer? Boomer? Was, was he? Was it him? That's a very good answer. It was Neil Lomax. Neil Lomax. Yeah. And he was a great yeah. quarterback that nobody He's will good. ever remember there in the mid-80s. I know my dad always had a lot of respect for Neil Lomax. He could, he could sling it. You could sling it. Absolutely. You nailed 100, 200, and 400. You missed on 300. So here we go for 500. The top five rated quarterbacks in the 93 season included four Hall of Famers plus your dad. Name three of those four Hall of Famers, and you get the 500 points. Okay. All right. So this is um, – it, it was – they were the, the top top four as far as what statistical category is it, just so I get this right? I'll read it one more time because a lot to think about here. So the top five rated quarterbacks in the 93 season, so quarterback ranking, top five in 93 included four Hall of Famers plus your dad. 
If you could name three of those four Hall of Famers, you get the 500. Okay. So Steve Young, I would bet, won the quarterback rating that year, right? Yep. You got it. Joe Montana with the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to throw him in there. There's two. He was fifth. He was on the list. So all you need is one more. And, and there were I'm gonna go there were eight I'm Hall gonna, of Famers, by the way, in the league. That's unbelievable. Eight Hall of right. Fame quarterbacks, yeah. I'm gonna go with Troy Aikman. Is Troy Aikman there? He was second. There you go. You got three. Bam. You wanna guess a fourth? You wanna guess a fourth? You already won it, but I know. Let me think. Um, let's see, ninety-three. Um Warren Moon? Great. That's a great uh, response, but no, it was Elway. It was Elway. Damn it. All right. I, I really, you know, I, I thought myself there once again. I wasn't sure. And, you know, I, I knew that Colts team was kind of good in 93, so I wasn't sure. I mean, the Oilers team, but uh, damn, that's yeah. some list. And, yeah, there was some damn good quarterbacks playing football at that time. Eight quarterbacks, 25% of the starting quarterbacks in the league at that, at that point. We're Hall of Famers. And it doesn't include your dad. It doesn't include Boomer Esiason. I'm right. trying to think of some other really good ones who were there then. But, yeah, I mean, Jim Kelly was out there. Dan Marino, Warren Moon, Brett Favre was early in his, Unbelievable. In his right. tenure there with, with the Packers. So some very good company your old man was keeping there. And you, my friend, you nailed it for 800,000, 1,100 points. You only had 600 last week. So put it on my tab. I, I take hundreds. You're giving hundreds out, for, right? For all these points, right? Aren't you doing that? I thought that was part of the deal. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. part of my contract. And I, <laughs> right. I, ha- I had a bonus question here, just in case you got below 600, that you, you've already proven that th- this is too easy for you. Both the Giants and Jets had double-digit wins in 85. Both their starting quarterbacks were in the top four in passing yards. It was the Jets quarterback. Yep, and Ken O'Brien. That's that's you know there that's you too easy for me. For a historian like me, that's just too easy. Okay, <laughs> this was the JV uh, game here. I got I got to bring back the varsity edition next week. I got I, I got to get back to work. Well, I appreciate you taking it easy on me and not making me look like an idiot. So I'm I'm not going to be mad at you. <laughs> but if you want to come in a little harder next week, you can. I, I'm confident in my okay. ability. So we'll see where I go. I don't know. These are two layup subjects, too. It was me and my father, so I should know them pretty damn well. Uh, if I don't know those two idiots, then who do I know? I mean, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be on top of that aspect of it. But it was a good podcast, man. I had a lot of fun. QB Jeopardy is awesome. Let's keep that going. I really do like that. And the team building had a lot, of, a, lot a lot of fun there. Thursday, Ahmed, Ahmed Farid's back in the fold. We're gonna have the big fucker on. We're going to do some Ask Me Anything, and we're going to talk about some other subjects that came up around the NFL this week and kind of dive into it then. But hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Paulie, you the man. I think you're back next week. Are you back next Tuesday for sure? Yes, sir. Okay. You the man. I like your hoodie. You're looking cool. And I like that we have our issue with our AirPods running out of energy, and we have to switch them (laughs) up and go one for one. (laughs) It's the world we're in right now. But you the man, dude. Thanks for everything. Peace out. Peace out, everybody. Be good. See you, Polly. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.